Welcome back to another episode of the Rockfit Files. This week, rather than having a guest on, what I thought I would do is just play a recording of a presentation that I gave to an international group of professionals who practice the Alexander Technique. Now, this series of lectures was coordinated by Malcolm Balk, who's in Montreal, and he was kind enough to invite me on to be the first speaker in the series that he coordinated. And I just go a little bit more in depth about the type of work we do in our studio, and I hope you enjoy it. Be sure to subscribe. You, you, you mentioned your interest in the body and how it moves. Can you tell us a little bit about your, your own uh, formation? Uh, sorry, I'm speaking uh, French here. Format. So your own training, your own, you know, your own path, because I've known you've, you, you've done quite a, quite a, you know, you have a real um, eclectic mix of things that you've done um, <clears throat> to sort of grow your understanding um, and, and uh, over the years. Do you want to give us maybe the short list of those? Because I know there's quite, a, there's quite a lot you've been doing. Yes, certainly. I, in the mid to early, early to mid 90s, I had attended a conference with the National Strength Conditioning Association. And there was a fellow there who became my first mentor in, in my field. And he began talking about muscle balance and function development, which essentially the, he was telling us that the closer we get to a balanced state with the body and its structure, the better things work. And unfortunately, the, the things that we were doing in, under the guise of functional fitness had this tendency to do just the opposite, that the repetitive nature of strength training and the machines that we had been using were drawing us out of alignment. And when that happens, it causes a lot of disruption in terms of inflammation and compression and ultimately pain or injury. And, and that was the first time that the wool had been pulled away from my eyes. And, and I got to see that the things that I were doing under the guise of helping people improve their lives was uh, unavoidably actually taking away from them. And so many of my clients would complain of an elbow issue or a shoulder issue or a low back or neck. And we simply avoided the exercises that were seemingly you know, irritating that area. But now through his tutelage, I was starting to understand that, well, there's actually exercises that could help that, that could bring the body back into balance. And so then I started learning with him. That brought me into the probably early 2000s where I discovered, and, and basically he was using a derivation of the Egoscu method, if anybody is familiar with Pete Egoscu out of San Diego and, and the realignment of the body. And that brought me to Dr. Gary Gray of the Gray Institute. Uh, somebody's in Ann Arbor, Michigan, but uh, Dr. Gray is in Adrian, Michigan, pretty much in the center of the mitten of the state. And he is, for, for my understanding and, and, and uh, my opinion is that he's the godfather of truly of functional fitness, physical therapist who really started to see how we move in three-dimensional space in the world of, of movement and exercise. And then eventually that brought me into having the, my last mentor or, or the mentor that I currently have, Gary Ward, who you spoke of with Anatomy in Motion. And, and since 2014, I've been studying with him. And now there's a few of us around the globe that are mentors for that program and educational workshop. And we're beginning to teach courses for him as well. So that's, 
that's it from 96 to up to date, uh, a few mentors along the way and a deeper understanding. And I did not mention another one, which is Dr. Eric Cobb. And he began an educational course called Z Health, Z as in the last letter of the alphabet. Z Health is all about motor neurology and understanding how the body affects the brain and the brain affects the body. And we can assess through visual assessments, vestibular assessments, and, and basic movement assessments to find out where there's inhibitions within areas of the brain. Can we facilitate some stimulation in that area through different drills? to affect better performance overall. So for a procrastinator, I mean, you haven't exactly been sitting on the couch yeah. watching daytime television and eating bonbons really over the last 25 years. Well, I got, got kind of tired of days of our lives and, and something had to change. Tell me something, you, you mentioned um, functional fitness, which is a term that I know is quite well known in the fitness industry, but our audience today may not know exactly uh, what what does that mean? Uh, you know, how does that how does that vary from something that isn't quote functional fitness based? You know, could you explain that in sort of layman's terms? Yeah, it's somewhat of a nebulous term to be honest, because everyone has a, their own definition of functional fitness. But can we move the body in the way that it was designed to be moved? That, that's essentially it. Can can we do the movements uh, that are involving basic human function. Can we press in different directions? Can we pull toward the body? We're meant to rotate through space. So what is that like unencumbered or unrestricted? And can we move up and down and, and generally move through space? And can we do that with the least amount of restriction? And how you get there? Well, there's so many different paths from Alexander technique to yoga, Tai Chi, and hopefully Western approach to fitness. And, and that approach itself is very much in its infancy compared to such things as Tai Chi, martial arts, yoga, and, and other forms of the Eastern philosophies of movement. And, and, and in truth, I think we're in the, uh, not dark ages, but we're in the barbaric stages. Yeah, I think we're, there's some barbarism that goes on with conventional fitness as we know it. I mean, we're, we're seeing it, uh, we're, we're seeing a, a global pandemic and not in the case of COVID, but in the case of the ability for people to move the volume with which the average human moves is at an all time low because technology is at an all time high. And so what happens there is we get structurally less sound and weakened when we don't move our bodies the way they were designed to. And what is the response in the fitness industry, but high intensity training. Can we just go to the red line and rev our engines, even though we may be driving a Yugo, we want to put a Formula One race engine in under the hood and just rev it around the track as the hardest way we can go. And there'll be some benefits to some degree, but eventually, I don't know if that chassis is going to take all the G-forces. So you're talking about what's called HIT or high intensity training, which you know, as a runner, you know, we used to call interval training is something we did twice a week, but that, this is something that we were doing when we were in my 20s and 30s. You know, when you take a 50 or a 60 year old and you say, right, we're going to take you to the red line eight times for 30 seconds and you're going to really feel the benefit. Yeah, I, I've, I've sort of <laughs> I've sort of questioned that a little bit myself. <laughs> going, you know. Yeah, there's a certain there's a certain intensity level that everybody could achieve that's proper for them. Uh, but it has to be individualized. 
you know, you could take a 50 or 60 year old individual who has been consistently running, who's been doing a good deal of body work, flexibility and maintaining their body, and they could handle that. But then take an individual the same age who used to be quite the athlete, but 20 years of a career in mortgage payments and a family or so on has taken them away from their their regular habit of of taking care of their own body. I would not have them do the same work. They would have to slowly build up to such things. So just for our audience, HIIT training would, an example of HIIT training would be, you'd get on a, a, you know, a stationary bike and after a warm up, you'd, you'd be asked to pedal at absolute, your, you know, your maximum for 30 seconds. And then you would, you know, they would dial down the resistance and you'd pedal easy for two and a half minutes. And then you'd ask, ask to be pedal again for 30 seconds as hard as you could. And you'd repeat that eight times and that would be your workout. And uh, it is very intense. And if your body isn't, you know, used to doing that, um, the, the risks are definitely, the, you can, the risks are obvious, but. Um, and yeah. they, they use that with resistance training too. So you take heavy weights and you go to an extreme for a certain amount of time and then you rest for a very short time and you repeat that over and over until you ultimately just try and trash or or fatigue the body into some heaping mass that doesn't want to do anything. For me, my training <laughs> sessions, honestly, I when I'm when my clients are done training with me, they want to go and do something. Not that the movement was too easy, but we've placed them in a place where their brain says, "Oh, I really want to move now." I think I'll go out for a run. You know, I want to take up swimming again. Oh, I, I you know, after this, I think I'm going to go hike that trail that I've been wanting to hike. Those are certain signs or, or signals for me that we're on the right track because that's what this facility really is. is it's not to supplement what they're not getting in their regular life, but it's to restore them into a place where they want to go out and explore their body through the world around them. Brilliant. Yeah. You're getting, I'm getting tears in my little beady eyes here, uh, Rocky. Um, yeah, because I think things like the hit method, although it is effective and appropriate with some people, really for the for the people for people, let's say from the Alexander world, you hear about hit training, and we would call it end gaining, you know, par excellence. It's like try to get to, you know, try to get a result as fast as possible, and don't worry too much about how you get there. It's it's only the result that counts. You're not paying much attention to the to the path. Whereas I think what you're talking about is paying a lot of attention to the path and, and, and you know, the path actually conditioning the result. Uh, <clears throat> would, 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 you, would you agree? Yeah, I believe so. I think, uh, you know, I had to unlearn a lot of things and, and let go of things that I took for granted in this world of exercise and, and question, why is it we're doing what we're doing? Uh, is it just because somebody else took us to the gym and showed us these exercises and now we carry this just naturally on to somebody else and we show our friends or our, our clients or whomever? Uh, but we've got to step back and go, well, why am I doing these movements? Where did it come from? And is it serving the proper purpose? And for me, what I found was a lot of the things that we were doing weren't serving the proper purpose of restoring better function to the entire body, not just to muscles and, and to, to bones, but how does the internal organs, are, are they affected by the things that we're doing? How are the systems of my body being effective? Not just cardiovascular, but how's my digestion? 
when, when I'm doing these movements that are unfortunately pulling me out of a balanced position, how does that affect my, my internal organs? And you'll find that, oh, maybe that's what's leading to irritable bowel syndrome or indigestion, or maybe that's why I'm not taking a deep breath or, you know, there's a whole bunch of things that could be coming about because we're just unknowingly following along what path that somebody laid out before us. So it's, it's important that we kind of just simply use that one word question of why. Yeah. So that, that of course, um, <clears throat> puts a little bit more pressure on you as a, as a, as a fitness expert, because you're not putting everybody through the, you know, the cookie cutter approach. Everybody fits, fits the same mold. You're looking at people as individuals and, and trying to figure out what, what does each person require to restore their, their functioning. Would that, would that be, would that be a way? Yeah. So that's a lot more work. Yeah. You can't just come in and, you know, <laughs> go, well, you're going to do this, 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 and this, and, uh, you know, we'll, we'll pick up your check on the way out. It's, you've got to, you've got to help them figure out what's, what will, what do they need at this point? Um, and, um, yeah, so, well, look, um, Rocky, we could talk a lot about this, but I, I, you know, I, I think the point you made that, uh, we do need to get to the point where, where we move more and we feel comfortable in movement. Uh, you are going to, you're going to focus today <clears throat> on working from the feet up is that that's correct right we're going to work from the feet up and see what they you know as we start there what does that tell us about what's going on um in the rest of uh, in the rest of us which for alexander teachers is quite interesting because alex you know we tend to work from the head and neck down um and you're going to be coming you know uh, you know you're going to be coming from the feet up and um believe it or not folks uh, having done a bit of this work with rocky and with uh, Gary Ward, um, th there is no incompatibility with them. They, they, they mesh very well. And well, anyway, you get a chance to, to try it for yourself. Sorry, Rocky, did you, you want to say a little bit more about that? Um, <clears throat> no, no, just, uh, I'm wholeheartedly with you and say, uh, you know, we can go top down or from the bottom up and, uh, sometimes we'll break into both, but yeah, primarily we're just going to look at how each of us, uh, fights gravity and how we move through space. Brilliant. Right. So do you want to set this up? Do you want to ask people to, uh, how, how do you want people to get ready to, uh, for those of you who want to try this and I encourage you because I think that, um, you know, you'll, you'll get more out of it if you actually don't just watch it and observe it, but, uh, try it yourself. And, you know, as, as Rocky said, this isn't, gonna, this isn't a hit training. This is, you know, this isn't going to injure anybody or, um, you know, uh, this won't work beyond your your capabilities. Uh, I know Rocky's very gentle and will you know take very good care of you as he as he, he walks you through this. So um, what do they need to? What does everybody need to do here, Rocky, to uh, to participate? I think for the first few minutes, I'm just going to give a little presentation. I have a little slideshow that I'll share my screen and and talk a little bit about uh, what we're about to go through. And then what we can do is just first just get up and move and it would be preferable to have shoes off. You can of course have your socks on if you, if you would like to, but it's also kind of nice to see your bare feet because one foot is most likely different than the other. To what degree? Well, that's individualized, but you might find that uh, those things that you've had at the end of your body all your life 
you may not have paid too much attention because we stuff them in shoes and socks and whatnot. And it may be your first time really kind of checking them out. And then we'll do some movements, uh, just understanding where we are in space as we stand there. And we're going to do some basic hip motions as well around the center of our body and, and discover maybe that there are some areas that I don't travel very well into or some things that I just really have very little connection with. So if that's okay, I'll, I'll share my screen now. Are you all right with that, Malcolm? Good, yeah. Okay, and I'll draw up. There we go. And there we go. Okay. So from the ground up and the top down, that's kind of the little title that I put here. And we will be going basically from the ground up. We spoke briefly in our conversation about, you know, structure or posture. And we have over two point something million years evolved to fight gravity on two feet. And once we left that quadruped position of being on all fours and being upright and traveling as nomads across the, uh, the primordial plains and so on, the body began to adapt to this new structure. What it has come to, to be is that we ideally are as balanced, maybe not symmetrical, but as balanced as possible over, our, our, over both feet. And that if we put imaginary lines connecting the joints down the left side of the body, such as shoulder, hip, knee, and ankle, we'll find that we're pretty much in this nice vertical alignment, especially from a profile view. You can see the skeletal image on the left, uh, that the center of the skull resides directly over the shoulder, and that shoulder is directly over the hip, knee, and ankle. So provided that all the load-bearing joints, those that I just mentioned, stay stacked on top of each other, then the majority of the body weight will transfer down through the skeleton. The muscles, meanwhile, will just be acting as guy wires to try to maintain that position with the least amount of pulling in one direction or the other, but a balance of tension. And from a front view or rear view, we could see that the shoulders are, should be nice and level with one another, the hips nice and level with each other, the knees, the ankles, for that matter, the elbows, the wrists, and even the skull should not be teetering off to one side or the other, but balanced in the skull, at least balanced directly over the spine, which starts very small at the top and gets to the largest vertebrae at the bottom. So even the spine makes a very slender pyramid of structure or support. And so when we can get to as close to this, this mythical ideal, and I say that because we are not going to see anybody truly like this. Our bones grow at different speeds throughout our youth. We have one heart, one stomach, one spleen. Even our internal organs are not symmetrical. However, the closer we get toward that central place, the better spacing will be between the bones, I, AKA the joints or articulations. The, the more enhanced muscular balance will be from left to right, from front to back and from top to bottom. And we're constantly hovering around what we feel is our center. So therefore the closer we get to this, the, the, the better things have a tendency to work. Now, not only does the spine create a triangle or a pyramid, which is what structure is all about. You look at any bridge that supports railroads or 
or vehicles, and you'll see that you can make these connections into triangles, buildings themselves, everything that is all about structure, geodesic domes, in fact, it, it's all about triangles. So at the base of our foot, we have three primary points of contact when we are standing in our most balanced place. And those points of contact will be the ball of the foot by the big toe. We call that the first metatarsal joint or the metatarsal head. We've got the fifth metatarsal head by the small toe, the ball of the foot. And of course, the heel itself underneath the center of the heel. These are our tripods. These are where our contacts of support underneath the foot should ideally reside when we are most balanced. And it's those contact points that come down from the arches of our feet. And we have three arches on each foot. We have the one that most people consider that insole arch, we call the medial arch. But we also have a shallower arch on the outside edge called the lateral arch. And the roof of our foot is also dome-like or arch-like, and we call that the transverse arch. And each of those arches come down and attach to those three points of contact. However, we experience life. And in that life, we gain more experience through uh, injuries and surgeries and emotional, I won't say disturbances, but changes in our being. And emotions are uh, physical health and and injuries and episodes and even birthing issues can play a part in affecting where our structure is in space. You'll see in the, in the frame here, the balanced ideal, but let's just take into consideration the, the individual that's imbalanced on the left-hand side. Now, if I were to tell you that that person had dislocated their shoulder, would that make sense with what you see? Or I might tell you that that person is, um, was, uh, took a fall and they injured their, their hip. Could you get a sense that maybe they would start to see that posture? Or perhaps they wrenched their knee while on the ski slopes. Or better yet, said they, were, they were walking their dog and they slipped off the curb and they had an inversion sprain and twisted their ankle. You get a sense that any of those episodes could begin to create a posture that you might be able to, you're seeing right there. And even though that injury may have occurred and the pain has subsided and whatever needed to be done to help that out, they may still hold their form in this position because a pattern of doing so to avoid the injury and avoid pain might very well have been established. And that pattern had become normalized. And this is their new normal of how they prefer to fight gravity. And this is us, every single one of us, not necessarily in this particular position, but some of us will find that we have one, one hip that may be ever so lower than the other, or our pelvis is tilted just a little bit more forward than where it should reside, or our knees kind of dig, drive inward, or we look like we just got off the range on a horse and those knees drive outward, or one foot is always turned out. You look down and notice that, oh, this foot is always forward, more forward than the other, or we have these wear, wear patterns on our shoes. Then the more we hold these positions, the more certain areas are taking on more work than they may normally do in a balanced state. 
and others, therefore, are taking on less work. Some places have to move a little bit quicker while other places are moving slower. Some take on more load while others are not working quite so much. So we begin to see these patterns create muscular imbalances, compensatory patterns, and therefore there is a higher likelihood that we may suffer from wear and tear in certain areas more than others somewhere down the road. And the likelihood of injury may be quite great in certain areas. So here's where we're gonna go right now. We're gonna get an understanding of where we are in space and we're just gonna pay attention to our feet to start off with. And I'm, I'm going to get up now, but you don't necessarily have to. But I'm just gonna say that if I have muscles attached down the side of my body, which hopefully I do, and they're down both sides of my body, where, when my skeletal system moves toward one direction, the muscles that the bones are pressing into must have to lengthen to allow the skeleton to move in that direction. So if I push my hips backwards, the muscles on the back of my hips must lengthen to accommodate it. Or if I drive my hips forward, the muscles that I'm moving into must lengthen to accommodate it. Similar to when fingers might push into a latex balloon, that that latex will have to expand in order for the fingers to move through it. And that in essence is our way in which we manage our mass. How do we position ourselves over our feet? When we move in one direction, muscles will not only lengthen, but they'll need to contract because if they kept on lengthening, I would just fall over. So there comes a time where the brain sends a signal down to those muscles, hey, slow this action down. But what happens if I find myself in that position on a regular basis? Then we start to train the brain that this is where we need to be. And not only are these muscles being over, overly stimulated and they're lengthening and they're contracting to prevent me from falling, but the exact opposite is happening on the opposite side of my body. These muscles where the bones are moving away from are now being allowed to shorten. And they're not helping to keep me from falling over. They're actually quite passive and somewhat relaxed and not nearly as stimulated as the muscles on this side. So if you are one to enjoy massage therapy, or if I could just maybe a, a show of hands, how many people currently use some type of devices like foam rollers or sports sticks or anything else to help kind of massage their bodies? Anybody there? Yeah, there's a few people. Yes, so when we, when we use such devices, typically what we do is we go to the same target places. There's still always those sore spots we, we hit. And we're like, oh, this, I know this has to be good for me. So I'm just going to roll these areas out. And definitely it does feel good eventually, but sometimes there's some really tender spaces that don't really seem to change. So perhaps we're not targeting the right areas. And if we understand where our structure is, we might be able to get a better idea of which muscles need to be stimulated, need to be lengthened, need to be woken up so that they participate more. And therefore taking this posture here, 
these overly stimulated muscles have been working so hard that they may actually begin complaining. Who knows? It's these muscles over here that I might actually want to stimulate via massage, foam rolling, or, or manual massage, however it is. So when we exercise here, when we move our bodies, in fact, I really don't like using that word exercise because it has such a negative connotation for so many people that walk in the door. But if we can explore movement and allow the body to sing and not scream, then I think we're in a, a good spot. So once again, if you would join me actually in standing up right now, that would be wonderful. Because we're going to now get a sense of where you are in your body as it relates down into your feet. So you can take just a couple of little steps in place and, and I want you to just sink into a comfortable stance, just into your natural place in which you'd like to be. And you don't necessarily have to think about it. You don't have to be a, a controller. More to the point, I would like you to be an observer of this wonderful thing that you have been gifted with. So as you stand there with your feet underneath you, get a sense of where is it that your body weight descends downward into those feet. If you were to stand on two bathroom scales, one under each foot, and you were to look down at whatever numbers are displayed on those scales, would those numbers be identical, first of all? Or would you say that there was maybe uh, one pound or kilo or stone, who, wherever you may be in the world here, however you measure that, would there be a difference in the numbers? Would it be great or would it be minuscule uh, or would it be perfectly identical? And it may be that it is identical, but there's many ways to make it so that those numbers are identical. It doesn't necessarily mean that we are perfectly symmetrical. So once you get a sense of that, let's just take your attention over to your right foot and get a sense of where do you feel the pressure in that right foot against the ground? Do you feel it perhaps more in the forefoot or is it more in the rear foot? Is it more toward the insole or is it more toward the outsole, outside sole? If you struggle to understand where the pressure is, sometimes what might help would be just the opposite. Where do I not feel any pressure? And by understanding where you don't feel pressure, well, that gives you an idea of where the pressure must reside. Then go over to your left foot and do the same thing. Do I feel more mass traveling toward the forefeet? Am I digging in with my toes or is it in the balls of the feet? Or do I feel more toward my heels? Is it different from the right? Do I feel it more in the insole or more toward the outsole? So wherever your mass is traveling, certain, certain joints must react. In fact, all the joints must react. Certain muscles must react in a certain way. And so by knowing how joints move and react or relate to one another and knowing about the muscles that surround those joints, we can pretty much map out what is going on with your body. Now, just out of curiosity also, while you're standing there, maybe just glance down at your arms and notice where do they like to hang? Do they like to hang directly beside your hips themselves? Or do you find that they migrate forward or perhaps backwards? 
Does one move away from the body and one hugs inward toward the thigh? Does one move forward, but not as much as the other one? And it gives you a sense that maybe I have some torsion or rotation. Just get a sense of where they are. And looking at the hands, where do the knuckles point out to? Do, are the arms rounding forward and turning internally so the knuckles are pointing straight ahead? Or are they by your side? Where are the thumbs pointing? You just get a sense of where is your body right now? So that's the first thing we'll do. And then what I'd like to do is I'd like to share my screen once more. I'm just curious though, with a show of hands, how many people felt that they felt more mass traveling forward in both feet? Okay, there's one, two, beautiful. How many people felt like they were being pulled back into their heels, both heels? All right, look at that. We got about six people or so. Okay, how many people felt like you really were having much more weight over on one foot compared to the other? Almost like you're shifting sideways. There we go. How wonderful is this? There's three, okay. And then the last one I'll ask, how many people felt like there was more weight in one heel, but more weight in the front of the opposite foot? Anybody feeling that? Like, yes. So isn't that interesting? How just, yes. So we have, we have a whole variety of how we support ourselves. And in so doing, certain muscles are gonna to have to react to hold those positions. They're subtle, no one has fallen over as far as I've seen. Everyone stayed over their feet, but how we manage all these segments of our mass, all 360 joints surrounded by 640 plus muscles in three-dimensional space, that is a lot of movement potential. And we have sunken into where our perceived center is. So we're gonna try and change that. Now I'm gonna share my screen one more time because I'd like you to see this little foot map that I've designed. And this is what you might want to do a little screensaver. I know this, the print is very small and I apologize, but you can blow it up once you've, once you've kind of done a screensave on it. Because what this is going to hopefully guide you with is this is kind of like the, the free gift, the, the giveaway, is that these are going to be pointing in the direction of where your body is kind of drifting toward, whether it's on the left foot or the right foot. And you'll follow the arrows to certain muscles, muscle tissue that may need some attention in regards to massage or foam rolling or however you might do that. This may be the tissue that is shortened and it's an educated guess, strictly an educated guess on my part. It is not a golden rule, but maybe, just maybe, if you feel that your mass is traveling toward the heels, follow those arrows downward. And those are the muscle tissues that you might find need a little bit more um, stimuli, a little bit more length. If you felt like your feet were traveling toward, your mass was traveling toward your toes or the balls of your feet, you follow those green arrows. And, and, and just use this as a map to just explore. All right, I'll leave that up for another moment. But what we're going to do after that is we're, we're going to just explore the pelvis because this is where my center of mass resides. I'm gonna give it like 10 more seconds to keep that slide up. And then I'm going to stop the screen share one more time so that you can get a bigger picture of my uh, diminutive, diminutive form. There you go. 
small right. I'm going to stop it. If anybody still needs that, you just let me know at the end. I'll put it back up. Okay. Our center. If I were to ideally divide me from left to right, from front to back, and from top to bottom, where the central point of all three dimensions meet is just below my belly button, just roughly uh, hovering in front of L4, L5, my lumbar region, just above my sacrum. And it, that's interesting to note because the further we get off balance, how often do you find, I think 80, 85% of people will have back problems sometime in their life, some greater than others. But a lot of time it resides around L4, L5. And could it be that it just because that, that, that hub of this wheel of motion that we have, the Vitruvian form of da Vinci's uh, illustration, this is our center. And what we're going to do right now is we're going to explore the movement around our center because with, if I took a step or sat down or jumped, I must first have a muscular contraction somewhere around this region in order for me to do that. So we might as well start from center and emanate outward, up to the head, down to the feet or otherwise. And the interesting thing is after we assess how your pelvis moves, what we'll do again is we'll reassess the pressure in your feet. So standing up in your, in your stocking feet there, we're going to explore how the pelvis tilts forward and backwards. Now, you know, you've heard the term pelvic bowl, I'm sure. Your pelvis is very much bowl shaped. And if we were to tilt it forward, if it were say a bowl of water, if I were to tilt it forward, then the water would start going over the rim of that bowl and, and pouring out my belly button. And then if I were to tilt the pelvis in the opposite direction, we call that a posterior tilt or tilting backward, then that water would go over the rim and, and pour out my tailbone. Now imagine that you are in a very confined space such as a vacuum tube, like at a bank teller's window, and you yourself are that canister. Try not to let your head hit the wall in front or behind, but what is it like to simply tilt your pelvis forward and backward? And you may want to make a note to yourself about this. Does it feel like it's very easy to tilt it in one direction compared to the other? Does it feel like it's teetering and it's simply falling in either direction? Or are you having to pull it or lift it in order for it to tilt? Do you feel like when you tilt it forward and the front portion below your belly button dips down and your tailbone starts to lift up? Are you doing that by, by arching your lower back? Or are you by doing it by drawing the muscles downward in the front? Do you feel it because you're lifting the buttocks? How do you achieve that? And then when you go in the opposite direction, is it that you're tucking your buttocks underneath? Is it that you're engaging the abdominals to pull the front up? Does it feel like a wonderful stretch on the lower back? Just gain some awareness of how do I manage to do this motion? Because this is a motion that should be found every time you take a step. We should be seeing an effortless amount of movement tilting back and forth. Wonderful. Let's do this now. Let's, in this position, we're just going to allow the hips to travel off to one side and gliding across and off to the opposite side. So my hips are going to be swaying as if it's a palm tree in the wind. 
but I'm going to try and only allow the hips to travel. I'm not going to let my body go along for the ride, but my head for the most part will stay in one place. And this time as you're doing it, imagining that you're in the most narrow alleyway that you've been in, where the brick wall is right up against your nose and you don't want your body to touch the bricks. And there's another wall behind you right up against your backside. So you cannot turn or shift back and forth, but can it be this simple, clean, lateral action. Does it feel like one side you can go to almost another zip code and into an across the borders? And then the other side you hit kind of a, a cardboard wall where, oh, I got to really drive into it. Do you notice that there's a difference? And that's all we're looking for is just bringing some awareness. Do I have a difference in this lateral action? And then we've got two more assessments. One is also learning how the pelvis moves in a sideways fashion, but not gliding sideways so much as just simply tilting sideways in similar fashion that we tilted prior to that. So how we do that is you're going to have both legs straight to start out with, with your feet underneath you like you've been. And I would like you to bend one knee. In my case, I'm bending my left knee, but I'm keeping my right leg straight. When I bend my left knee, do I get a sense that my left hip begins dropping? And then I'm gonna straighten that leg back out and allow that hip to come back up. And I'm gonna do the same thing on the right leg. When I bend my right knee, do I get a sense that that right hip drops? And do this several times, keeping one knee straight while the other bends. Do you get a sense that that hip just naturally just drops down kind of with gravity or is it sticking? Does it, does it kind of have to almost be drawn down? Is it such a foreign movement that you have no idea what I'm talking about right now? Do you find that when you bend your knee that you actually want to rotate the pelvis rather than keeping it from rotating and just dropping down? All of these movements we are assessing right now are part of the gait pattern that we should experience when we walk. The pelvis is meant to move in these dimensions through some phases of the overall gait cycle. And the gait cycle is when one heel strikes the ground, it comes through, it swings forward again, and that heel strikes once more. That is one full gait cycle. And during that time, we should see the pelvis tilt forward and backward, glide left and right, tilt left and right. And then the last one is rotate left and right. So let's get a sense of rotation. I'm gonna encourage you to keep your upper body still. And I just simply want you to rotate your pelvis to the left and to the right. You can think of maybe turning the belly button as if it's a, a beam of light, like a, a lighthouse. And you just wanna sweep it to the left and to the right. What does that quality of movement feel like to you? And better yet, another question is, how are you achieving that rotation? Is it? When I rotate to my right, am I pulling my right hip back or am I driving my left hip forward to achieve that? And then when I rotate to my left, am I drawing my left hip back or am I driving my right hip forward? Or maybe it's a combination. Some of you are going to most likely find that you only drive the hips forward to achieve rotation rather than drawing them back. Others will find that they're pulling the hips back in both directions. 
to create the rotation rather than extending forward. And then there's a few of you that are most likely gonna find, I'm only using one hip to do this entire motion. I'm drawing back with my right and I'm driving forward with my right. What the heck is going on with my left hip? Quite crazy. Now, all we did was explore just a little bit of movement. And I'd like you to walk around your room for just the next 10 seconds and just feel what it's like. I don't expect miraculous change to occur because all we were doing was simply getting a sense of how we move. But go ahead and walk around for a few seconds and then come back to where you were standing when we assessed your foot pressure. And I will ask you once again, in the place you were standing, just to try and be scientific about this, in the same place you were standing prior to it, give yourself a couple of, of steps in place and, and then just relax into your resting posture where you would like to stand. And now do a little check-in. Once again, imagining those bathroom scales under both feet. Have the numbers changed? Have they been altered in some fashion? And then also while we're at it, check in with where the pressure is in the right foot. Has it changed from where it was when you initially began to assess it? Is it in the ball of the foot, the rear foot, outside sole or inside sole? And then experience what is it like on your left foot? Is there pressure in the forefoot, the rear foot, inside sole or outside sole? Just a show of hands, uh, did, is anybody feeling any different from when you first assessed? How interesting is that? Almost all, but some not, and that's okay. How great. Just by assessing pelvic motion, which I will say there's 57 muscles that cross the pelvis, 45 of which go and attach down to the leg. The other 12 come up and attach to say the ribs, the spine, and a couple to the arms. And, and they're like spokes in a wheel. And what you've done is just given them this gift of movement in three-dimensional space, allowing them to lengthen and shorten. And some of them have probably been re-stimulated and relearned that this is their role in life. And so when we did that, it was almost like we brought ourselves back into a more balanced resting posture. And so those are the things that I wanted to bring up today. Uh, and I know that I've probably gone a little bit over time, but I'd, I'd love to chat more and if there's questions and so on. But essentially what I do here is I take the understanding of, of, of the elements of posture and the elements of gait, and we design programs, strength and conditioning programs based on just that. We don't do strength tests and how much can somebody bench press or squat that is somewhere down the road if they really seek to become a power lifter or something. But every individual's program is based on where they are in space. And because that tells us what the muscles need. And then you combine that with their, their gates, elements of gait like the pelvis. And I also use the ribs, the shoulders, and for that matter, the head. Find out where they are in space and how they move through space. Wouldn't that be a better baseline to judge what a body needs in regards to movement and exercise rather than just what their body fat percentage is and how much weight can they do the leg press or squat with. So, um, and I guess I, I know people often ask, well, what, what kind of books do you read? Uh, uh, Anatomy Trains by Thomas Myers 
is a wonderful. Yeah, I see some thumbs up there. Tom's great. And so, uh, and he's uh, a rolfer and, and he does a lot of fascia uh, exploration, dissections and so on. He's out of Walpole, Maine. Uh, Dr. Robert Schleep or Schleip out of Germany. Fascial Fitness is a wonderful book to explore. Dr. Schleip. And he's got some great, great insight on fascia and the research that he's doing. And we're finding that fascia is the end all be all as far as I'm concerned. And uh, muscles are just somewhat of our locomotion engine, but the fascia is where we get a lot of our movement from because it doesn't require energy. It's free energy. And of course, this is the book that Gary Ward wrote called What the Foot. So if you're interested a little bit more about what we're doing here and how the body moves and so on, that is that is a brilliant book that I can't, uh, I always get something every time I read it and I've read, read it several times. And then Shameless Self-Promotion. This is a book that I wrote and it's called Return to Center, Strength Training to Realign the Body, Recover from Pain and Achieve Optimal Performance. And inside I have embedded a whole bunch of QR codes that you can take your camera on your phone and hover over. And there's 150 videos with movements and concepts and, and explanations and so on. And it's basically doing exactly what I just described, creating programs based on the individual and their posture and their gait mechanics. So, woo, Malcolm, sorry, I go on. Wow, Rocky, I'm always amazed. You know, I, I haven't done that check-in myself in a while and, and sort of I followed it along with you and did it. and. You know, um, I was functioning under the illusion that everything was balanced and, you know, <laughs> all working well. And then I do the, the check in and all of a sudden my, the balance on my feet has changed. And uh, this little twinge I had in my left hip seems to have, uh, you know, seems to have disappeared. And, um, you know, right now, just just doing what we did, just doing what we did. You know, it's uh, it's always. Yeah, we, we have something in the Alexander Technique we call active rest and we try to persuade people just to lie down on their backs and, and, and encourage themselves to lengthen a little bit and invariably if they do it, they feel better. But you, you think you are asking them to sort of run around the street naked, screaming, uh, you know, I don't know, anti-vax statements. So, so sorry, Jonathan, <laughs> I, I couldn't resist that, you know, um, and um, so they 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 don't do it even though it makes them feel better <laughs> and balances them up and the same thing with this uh, Rocky whenever I do this I always I'm I'm better balanced at the end of it so anyway listen I'd like to open it up if any of you we we have some some time here to, would any of you like to ask uh, Rocky a question um, or was there anything that he did that went by maybe a little bit I mean I've done this quite a lot so I understood what he was doing but. For any of, for some of you, it might have been perhaps the first time that you, you've done this, and um, it maybe it went by too fast. So feel free to ask Rocky if there's something that you'd like to have repeated, or, or described a little bit more. Um, feel free to do that as well. So um, go go right ahead, uh, and and if you don't have any questions, I, I've got lots of things that I'll ask Rocky. But um, go if any, does anybody have something that they'd like to? shoot out there either you can unmic yourselves or you can just ask the question in the in the chat column here i've got yeah it's it's really a challenge to try and do something for 20 minutes when we're involving such a complex thing as the human form but hopefully you got some stuff out of it 
Yeah. Yes. Becky. I have a question. Can you hear me? Yes. Okay. Um, can you talk just a little bit about peeling the foot up off the floor and, you know, from the heel to the toes and a little bit more about um, rigidity in the toes themselves? Ah, yeah. For, oh, so as the, as the foot is rolling off and you're taking a step in that fashion or as you're going the other direction and lifting the foot off that way? Forward. Forward. Heel okay. up. Heel up. Beautiful. Okay. The foot itself, and can, if everybody puts this on speaker, then, then this will be a bigger um, view. And hopefully this will be close enough. 26 bones, 33 joints, all with beautiful shape and space. At one moment, the foot should unlock the joints for the most part. When that foot strikes the ground, it becomes almost like an octopus and it just spreads out. And it just absorbs impact, no matter what it's, it's going to be landing on. If it's a, a, a sandy beach or a, a mud field or a hardwood floor, it is gonna spread out, absorb the impact. And as that heel begins lifting, it's going to start to reform the arches. And those arches will basically lock the joints in place to become very rigid so that we go from a mobile adapter to a rigid lever. Now, when that happens, what's wonderful is that, I'm, I'm not sure if you noticed when we were doing the pelvic movement, that in order for you to keep your rib cage upward and, and uh, fairly balanced over your feet, your rib cage had to move in the opposite direction. For instance, when my pelvis tilted forward, my rib cage would, if I stayed really fixated, my rib cage would fall forward but I needed to tilt my rib cage back just to stay over my feet. And when the pelvis tucked under, that would send me here, but my rib cage would have to tilt forward again to stay over my feet. So what we have are these cogwheel-like motions between body segments that when one area moves, another one moves in the opposite direction. So imagine muscles attached to my pinky fingers when they move apart, those muscles lengthen. And then as they reverse directions, the muscles shorten. And that is the essence of human movement is that we move in opposition, one area moving one way and the other moving the opposite. So back to the foot. When that foot lands on the ground, the rear foot will start to roll forward, but the forefoot hits the ground and therefore must have to go in the opposite direction. And that's when the arches drop. So rear foot rolling this way, forefoot moving this way. In fact, if my thumb, my thumbs were the arch of my feet, when the heel rolls forward and the forefoot goes back, you'll see that the arch just dropped in between my thumbs. And so then the opposite is going to happen. As the heel comes off the ground, it's going to have to take the journey from being here now it's going to have to reverse directions. We call that dorsiflexing or posteriorly tilting. It's tilting backwards. And then we keep our toes on the ground and begin driving into it and the arch reforms. And when that arch reforms, those bones get into place, creating something very rigid so that the force can travel through this rigid form, just like force travels through the, 
the tibia bone of our shin. It's very easy to send force through a very rigid object. So it's, it's really quite beautiful how this happens. And it does so in all three dimensions of space. So you'll see that the rear foot has to roll in one direction, but the forefoot has to go in the opposite. And then the opposite holds true when the, the arch reforms and we become rigid. Was I able to answer that, Michelle? Um, yes, but I was curious also about where the ball of the foot meets the toes themselves. I, and is there anything you could say about that, like rigidity there and rigidity in the toes? That's, I think that might be something that applies to me. The rigidity of the toes. Okay. So the, the, for the most part, the front of the foot and the toes also behave in the same fashion. Okay. that the rear foot and the front of the foot, they move in opposition. So when the forefoot drops down or, or comes down into an arch, the forefoot is lifting upward, but the toes stay against the ground. So they must kind of drive downward. And then as the front of the foot lifts in this direction and dips downward, then the toes must have to behave in the opposite direction. So we have this kind of motion at the toes. And the toes themselves will remain somewhat relaxed as we're getting to that point here. But then as soon as the ball of the foot begins its journey off, we'll shift into the toes and more rigidity off the big toe and the mid toe will occur. So it's a delayed chain reaction, I guess. So do you have issues in your toes right now? Is there something that's going on? Well, I have knee issues, but I'm just curious about how that affects my knees. Oh, okay. Then what you could do and what everybody could do right now is if you wanted to stand once more and, and look down as you're standing without your shoes on, try and lift your toes off the ground without your feet coming off. And, and which big toe lifts up higher? Mm. Maybe minuscule, but there's gotta be, there's probably one toe that lifts up higher. Yeah. Yes, there and is. There is. And it may not be the same side as the knee that's giving you a problem. It could be the opposite. But the, the fact that you have this imbalance there is going to tell you that the way in which you push off is going to be also compromised. And the, the toe that does not lift as high, you'll most likely find that that hip is more restricted because the big toe and the hip are beautifully related to each other. And in order for this big toe to get this nice flexion, which would be when you're lifting them off that you just did. But when we're in that push-off position, it's the same joint angle. And when that happens, well, that hip should be in full extension when my toe is in that position. But if that's restricted down on my toe, what will happen is I won't get into full extension. I'll roll off it. This knee will stay in a bent position and it won't experience full extension either. And so what you may wanna do, just for giggles, you may wanna just try and stretch out your big toe. You can grab it with your hand if you'd like to and just be gentle and start to stretch it out. And you can do dynamic, you don't have to just hold it there, but you, or you can also put it up against like a, uh, a wall, just your big toe. And as you're standing there, try and just drive your knee forward and backwards to get a stretch and then check in with how your knee feels. Well, it's interesting because I broke the pelvis on the side where the big toe isn't as flexible. Uh -huh. so. <laughs> All right. 
right. it works. It's a good experiment. Yes. <clears throat> there you go. So yeah, that side is probably, I mean, you may have rehabilitated it to some degree, but most rehab programs are not actually fully comprehensive and they get the person to walking better and maybe pain-free, but how you actually are walking specifically is still somewhat compromised from the sounds of it. So yeah. getting that, get, yeah, getting onto that side would be really a, a beautiful thing to just practice loading into that hip more and more and, and giving that unconscious brain a sense of trust on it and then see how it feels. Thank you so much. You're welcome. And then I think Becky had a question too. Yeah, um, thanks Rocky. I re really loved the, the pelvic bowl exploration that we did and found you know, quite shocking difference um, in where I was putting my weight after we did that. So um, I want to do it again all the time. Um, <laughs> and it seems like it'd be really useful to do oh, before a walk yeah. or a hike or that kind of thing. But I was curious about, um, you know, of course, you know, this is the, I, the, I want to get it just, I want to do it just right um, part of me, which I think we all have. But in terms of finding those, um, the movements, um, you know, in the, in the Alexander technique, we, we talk a lot about um, undoing rather than doing. Um, and I was wondering if that, if that's something that might be helpful, or if you do, like when you're talking about um, the movement where we were shifting, um, I think forward and back on either side and where was the engine? You know, was it yes. um, the coming back or was it a pushing forward? I kind of had this idea that, you know, that it felt nicer when I when I could hook into the releasing back to get that rather than the pushing forward. But of course, I just want to know, and I don't know if 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 there is an answer to this. Um, but you know, is there a right way? Kind of, would you suggest finding? this movement looking for movement by um by thinking that way you know sort of an undoing rather than a doing or is it just very different depending on kind of where people you know have more flexibility or or not um, or yeah great question great question so in regards to any of those pelvic motions really we're just allowing gravity to take us where we want to go and, and the muscles themselves are not trying to draw us into those areas. But when it comes to the rotation, it's, it's really all the muscles allowing that one hip to fall forward while the other falls back. But what we'll often find is that people are trying to drive into those positions. So when you're exploring, what, was it, what would it be like the next time you do this to just allow gravity to bring you in those positions? And how, and how does the body allow that to occur? And what you'll find most likely is that it, it gives you a deeper understanding of how I truly move. You've already gained a little bit just by doing it once, but um, yeah, we're, what I like, the, the phrase that I've been using more frequently now is disrupt the pattern. And, and really uh, we could say that the, uh, we can uh, unwind rather than wind or the terms that you use basically uh, it, it, to the same degree, like, can I just bring awareness to my body, bring awareness to my mind on how I use my body 
and then just appreciate how it is. And if there's something missing, can I incorporate that back in? So if I find myself trying to drive into a position, well, what's missing is I'm not falling into it. So can I disrupt that pattern and can I allow myself to fall into it rather than be forceful into it? Does that make sense? Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. All right. <clears throat> um, Michaela. Hi. Um, the, um, the first question about the uh, weight on the two different scales. Yes. Uh, I have um, probably a true minimal short difference in uh, leg length. And during my Alexander training, it seemed like if I use my longer leg, you know, if I keep my shorter, my shorter leg less weighted, that it helps um, with the um, uh, pelvic, you know, pelvic uh, stability. However, I have now very often as I join problems on, on more often on the side of the longer leg, but on both sides, you know, my pelvis as I join can go out on either side. And I've wondered a little bit observing my difficulty here with rotation, for example, whether that is really a good idea to keep my shoulder leg less weighted, kind of more off the ground. Wow, what a question, Rocky. <laughs> I love it, I love it. Ooh. Well, I, if, I, I have to ask about your leg length discrepancy. Is that because of an injury and you know that that bone is no longer the same length or uh, how did you find out? We found out during the Alexander training and then, you know, then someone said, well, you might really. So I can also tell I tell everybody that when I was lined up at age seven in front of a regularly shaped European wall, I was already standing on my shoulder side in order to feel you know, like a good girl, you know, standing straight, I was already leaning over at age seven. So I, it could, I don't think I had an injury before then. I think, I think it was born like that. Okay. And how's your SI feeling at this very moment? Well, it got a little uh, achy yesterday. It's often when I go in and out of the car a lot and goes like, ouch. So I guess. Are, you, not are you aware of it? Are you right now in this moment? Are you aware of it? Yes. Okay. All right. Doing the rotations. Mm. Okay. So, uh, would you like to try something right now? They just take a moment. Okay. We will take the leg that is longer and have you have it back behind you, where your shorter leg will be in front of you. Meaning, you're going to just take a gentle step forward. So, if it's your right leg that's shorter, it'll be in front. Your left leg in back. And I'm going to get my screen. I'm going to pin you so I can see you. There we are. And great. And then all I want you to do is simply bring your weight forward onto that right leg and allow that knee to bend slightly. That's it. And then go on back. And you'll, you'll do this. And anybody else that wants to do this is welcome to it. It's not just exclusive for Michaela. You're welcome to it. But Michaela, you're just going to allow yourself to glide onto that leg and then go back. And we're just gonna explore this for just a moment. And with your hands on your pelvis, that's it. As you glide forward, do you feel as if one pelvis, one side of the pelvis wants to get higher than the other? Or is there no change? Uh, 
don't think there's a change. I think there's more this rotation. Always. More rotation. And which way does your pelvis want to rotate as you glide onto your right foot? Does it want to rotate left or right? Left. Okay, cool. We'll let that happen. So as you're doing this, let's just take your left arm and reach upward over the shoulder overhead. And as you glide onto that right leg, allowing that knee to bend and bringing that weight onto that right foot, really reach upward with that arm. And you'll begin feeling a gentle stretch down the left side of your body, most likely. That's it, and then go on back. And we'll just do this several times like this. Now, as that arm reaches up and you come forward, try to keep your head level. And you may even get a nice gentle stretch on the side of your right neck, on the right side of your neck. That's it. And just work with this for a moment. So the SI joint on the left side of your body is most likely in a compressed state um, because that hip does not want to ever drop down because you do not place much weight on the right side of your body. Most of the time you're over on your left leg, which will allow that right side to drop down because it's not supporting you as much. So it kind of drops down, creating more compression in the SI joint, at least in the frontal plane. We haven't looked at the position of your pelvis in the sagittal plane, meaning forward and backwards. If it's more tilted forward, the front being tilted downward, we might see that this, the SI joint is compressed also in the sagittal plane. And if you are having your pelvis gently rotate in a natural direction, say to the right, <coughs> we may very, very well find it's also compressed in the transverse plane. It doesn't mean that it'll be compressed in all three planes. It may be in just one and that may be an irritant, but go ahead and walk around now and just see what that feels like. Is that any different? It feels definitely like a good walk. It feels like a good walk. Okay, and what did we just do on the most basic level? Um. Giving the right leg something to do. Yes, we got you to experience life on your right leg. At the same time, we were teaching your body how to get away from your left leg. And for so long, potentially, without knowing all your history or anything, you have been doing just the opposite. You spend more time on the left leg supporting you and getting off of the right shorter leg. So what we've just done is, is disrupted that pattern got you to feel what is it like to get weight and trust and, and encouragement onto that right side and be okay with leaving the left behind. And now you're walking around. How's your SI joint right now, by the way? I, I don't feel it. Uh, I don't think I oh. feel it. <laughs> That's wonderful. You don't feel it. It's not talking. I also. I don't know rotate too much in order to not, you know, challenge it too much. Of course, of course. It's probably an area where you gain more movement than you need in that rotation. Um, so that's, yeah, something to play around with. So therefore, getting weight on that right leg seemed to be something that was quite beneficial. Yes, thank you. Beautiful. All right. Uh, anybody else? Hi, uh, Tom. Yes. Hi, can you hear me okay? Yes. Great. Um, thanks for that. That was really interesting. Um, quick question is, are you happy for us to email you with any follow-up questions? 
most definitely please email me i love Great. i love chatting thank please you do. of course rocky oh sirpa oh, all right we'll go a little bit go ahead sirpa you have to unmute yourself there you go yeah no i had my uh, hand up for for a while i thought oh, uh, this is not really worth uh, going any 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 further than uh, you know the time that we have set up it is 5:30 p.m. in finland now why don't i post my question in the chat that we establish in the in, in the water well Sipa, go ahead go ahead and ask we'll, we'll, i'm we'll, fine yeah, yeah, rocky's fine with this we'll we'll go over a little bit okay um after michelle asked her question uh you made us do a little exercise where we lifted uh, the toes up yes and to observe whether the one of the big toes would rise higher than the other and to my <laughs> grand surprise I, I found that my left big toe rose like twice as high as the right one and then i remembered oh this this right side is something that got really bad badly injured uh, 12 years ago in, in a bad accident and uh, i think it has healed very well it doesn't really bother me in my everyday life uh, when i practice ashtanga yoga i don't uh, like land on on the push-up position from the stand-up position anymore because i don't think it's it's smart with this kind of a foot but um mm -hmm. uh, i just thought that since there's such a big difference this must mean that uh there must be a lot of compensation in my everyday life because i run and you know do everything uh any great ideas yes i i have <clears throat> i have a youtube channel and it is my name with initials after my name of CSCS. So Rocky Snyder, CSCS. In fact, I will, I'll go back to sharing my screen so that you can have my contact information here. Oh, but the YouTube channel isn't there, I apologize. But Rocky Snyder, CSCS. And on that, on that channel, if you did a search for the importance of the big toe, I did a little video and there's a couple of things that you may take away from that. One being a simple big toe stretch, just to give that toe that's restricted lifting off the ground, the experience of what it's like to be more free. And that would be wonderful. And there's also another video that's about 15 minutes in length. That is um, cog, like cog wheel, cog assessments. And I run you through a little bit of a check-in through the body, similar to what we did with the pelvis, but more other movements. And we explore those to try and unlock different areas. But you may find that there's, there's other videos on that channel that you might enjoy. <clears throat> For instance, the other two I would recommend is exploring pronation, which is what happens when we land on planet Earth. And the other one is exploring supination, is what the body should do when we push off the planet. So those are the two basic ways. Those are our only two options when it comes to moving. We can either be landing on our planet or driving off of it. And the body reacts completely opposite ways when those two events occur. So those would be good. But uh, yes, the, the importance of the big toe, I would watch that little video and, and try some of those moves. Thank you. You're so welcome. All right. Malcolm, are we up against the clock? Because we're, we're, we're up against. I thought the we clock. were going for three more hours, bro. 
Rocky, I know you could, and you know, it was um, just great to see you work your magic a little bit there. I've been on the receiving end of that a number of times, and as you know, and I'm always amazed how something very, very simple just seems to kind of, well, all of a sudden, oh, I'm working like a whole human being again. <laughs> and um, yeah. So, Rocky, I, I, I'll speak for everybody here, but we'll get some feedback afterwards. But I want to thank you very much for your. Uh, your presentation, your passion, your enthusiasm, and um, your brilliance. And that's it for another episode of the RockFit Files. Thanks for listening. And if you are like some of the participants in this recorded presentation who are interested in acquiring our services, we do online consultations and training as well as in person. So you can just go to our website, rfcsantacruz.com for more information. In the meantime, be sure to subscribe to our channel and follow us on Instagram, Rocky underscore Snyder. We'll see you next week.